Hello and welcome to Unramblings, a podcast about stories and storytelling. I'm Fayfix. And I'm Charlene. And this week we're talking about a whole bunch of things. But mostly it's going to be the film Palm Springs with Andy Samberg and Kristen Malotti. Uh, before we get into that, we do have a couple of bits of housekeeping. Uh, we now have a YouTube channel. That's pretty exciting. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Just search Unramblings. Uh, we're going to be posting up all of our old podcast episodes. And then once we've caught up with our release schedule, we'll be posting these new ones as well. So if you want to head over there and subscribe, it would really help us out. Having them there just makes it a little bit more accessible for everyone. Not everyone wants to listen to our podcast app. So we just want to make it available to more people. We're currently putting together our schedule through the end of the year, so we're going to plan some seasonal episodes coming up. We're going to have some fun Halloween-type ones in October and then some holiday-themed ones around the end of December. So you have that to look forward to. So we're going to talk about the film Palm Springs. It came out back in July on Hulu, but it was premiered at Sundance back in January. We didn't see it at Sundance. We saw it in July because we're normal people. Uh, We're going to have spoilers for that and some other ones. The... Spoiler warnings that I have to give about the other things are themselves spoilers for Palm Springs. So if you don't want any spoilers for Palm Springs, stop right now, go and watch it, and then come back. I mean, it is a thing that's in the trailer, though. So so the other things we're going to be talking about today are going to be uh, the film Groundhog Day with Bill Murray and Russian Doll, the first season that we have talked about previously on the show. We're probably going to reference a decent amount. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about time loops in general in media, um, specifically the ones that center around people within a fairly normal situation, a normal day or a day that's very believable, as opposed to something like The Edge of Tomorrow, where he's on a battlefield or Source Code, where it's a weird sci-fi thing. I might be the only person who has seen Source Code. I don't think it gets referenced a whole lot. But anyway, I certainly haven't. Uh, if we have any other spoiler warnings or content warnings, which I imagine we'll have some, we'll drop those in right here. Hello! You're not going to guess what our spoilers are for this week. We have some references to Mistborn that are fairly light. Uh, we'll talk about some of the stuff that we talked about in our episode from a couple of weeks ago. We have a couple of spoilers for The Good Place and also for The Last of Us. And that's obviously on top of the previously stated spoilers for Russian Doll and Groundhog Day. We also have a couple of content warnings for suicide, which is mostly just mentioned a few times, and rape, particularly issues of consent that come up in Palm Springs and Groundhog Day. And that's pretty much it. Okay, and back to the past. Welcome back. So Palm Springs follows Niles, played by Andy Samberg, who has been stuck in a time loop at a wedding that he is tangentially related to the people who are there. He's sort of very much on the outside. He's just known as the boyfriend of one of the people that's there. Um, And he's just been stuck there for a huge amount of time and kind of just given up on the idea of getting out. He's just entertains himself from day to day. And that's just about all he's doing. Drinking a lot of beer, lounging in the pool a lot. Um, One of his attempts at a random hookup ends up with someone else getting stuck in the time loop with him, Sarah, played by Kristen Malotti, who goes through a lot of the same sort of systems that we see in a lot of the time loop media that exists before sort of falling into the same pattern that he's been in and then gets pushed to a point where she decides she has to get out of this time loop and goes and becomes an expert in quantum physics. It's all sort of punctuated by the character of Roy, played by J.K. Simmons, um, who is also stuck in the time loop because of something Niles did um, and has responded to this by just occasionally coming by to hunt down and kill Niles. The broad story is very much a she gets stuck in the time loop with him, decides they have to leave, and they leave together having fallen in love. It's it's a rom-com with a time loop. 
So when watching this film, for reasons we'll get into, it's very easy to see a lot of correlation between between this and the 1993 film with Bill Murray, uh, Groundhog Day. Or at least it is easy to see this if you've seen Groundhog Day, which when we sat down to watch Palm Springs, I found out Charlotte had never seen. We decided to live tweet that event. So if you check out the Unramblings Twitter feed, you can see me tweeting her live responses. Um, it has not aged well as a film. Nope. But Charlene, do you want to sort of summarize your general thoughts on that film? Um, the main character is a total douchebag. Like, it's very cringy and uh, play like it, the humor relies a whole lot on stuff that isn't funny, but that people thought was funny in 1993. So and I, I feel like everyone kind of knows what that means at this point. Yeah. yeah a lot of nice. sexism, misogyny, homophobia. It's just shitty. The thing is, I've certainly seen as a defense, like, oh, like, he is a jerk at the start, and it's about him becoming less of a jerk, but I'm not sure if that holds true. No, particularly not as that the, like, gay panic thing is supposed to be, like, further along in his moral development when he's supposed to be a better person and have figured out, like, a better way of handling the issues he runs into on that day. Um, and that's never addressed in any sort of redeeming way during the point in time when we're supposed to understand that he is now a good person and, like, you know, has left behind a lot of the bullshit misogyny stuff. Not that that ever really goes away. At the end, it's still that Annie McDowell has sort of been an unwilling participant in this situation. So Yeah, I mean, I talked to, um, we've got a... I've got a group chat with some friends from co college and um, the consensus seems to be that if any of us spent two days with somebody who had Jekyll and Hyde in that way, uh, we would be even more concerned and leery of having any sort of anything to do with them because that sort of like over the top charm situation is very characteristic of abusive people. And like it would be even more of a red flag than if he was just an asshole who gradually became less of an asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, a, a kind of complete 180 would be so terrifying and like weird. It's a film where um, it's a man's idea of what a woman wants. Yeah. Then oh. we're just talking too much about Groundhog Day. Okay. So we were going to talk a little bit about the storytelling first. Mm -hmm. um, I realized that I've been talking for a very long time, so I apologize for that. So we are sort of taking as our main texts for this discussion. We'll focus on Palm Springs as much as possible, but also a little bit on Groundhog Day and also Russian Doll. All of those are, I think, about dysfunctional characters who are in a day that is a, a believable real day that can happen, but also like an event type day that helps with some of their personal growth narratives. Sure, that it's definitely an intentional choice to raise certain issues for them and force them to consider aspects of their life and their personality and their flaws that they might be able to successfully ignore on a different day or at least not be confronted with quite so directly. Yeah, so I mean, like, I think that's very obvious in Palm Springs where both Sarah and Niles are in unhealthy positions with their relationships. Sarah is divorced from someone that she knew she wasn't going to be happy with and has just slept with her sister's fiance the night before their wedding. 
and Niles is in a relationship with someone who's very annoying and sees him as very old for some reason. And just, I like, I don't know why the two of them is together. That's never explained, but there's not a whole lot going on there. Well, later on, after being in a relationship with Sarah, or sort of developing that, like, bond with Sarah, he acknowledges that he's very codependent and that he had kind of broken out of that in some ways over time of Misty not Misty being his girlfriend, you know, cheating on him that day, every day that it reoccurs, no matter what he tried to do. Um, And so he eventually let go of that relationship. But it does seem like his tendency when in a relationship is to be pretty codependent and to like want to find fulfillment within that relationship. And so I think that's probably something that happened with Misty, where like he didn't he didn't want to be alone. You know, he wanted to try and make it work. And it was only after the repeated confrontation with all of the reasons that it wasn't going to work that he eventually was like, yeah, okay, fuck this. I'm like, I'm not in, I'm not invested in this anymore. And I mean, even then he still seems to make some poor choices. Like at the start of the film, they're, they're still sleeping together, sort of like, I don't understand that scene. Um, yeah, yeah, he's, he still occasionally decides, apparently, to engage in what he has to know will be ultimately awkward and unfulfilling sex. Yeah. And uh, and I think that is somewhat an indication of that lingering codependence of like, oh, we'll see, maybe it'll work this time. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, it's ultimately very sad. <laughs> Um, so yeah, putting those two characters at a wedding is, you know, a good way of making them have to confront their own relationship issues. Mm-hmm. And their negative perceptions at this point of like the possibility of healthy and fulfilling relationships, because they've both kind of given up on that as a thing in general. Um, with Russian Doll, we have a character whose mother died fairly young. There's a lot of hangups from that. She's reached a point in her life where she's now older than her mother ever was. Um, So having that themed around her birthday party for that means that she has to keep confronting that situation day after day. Right. And particularly as the very first thing that happens every time she restarts the time loop is she emerges from a room to be greeted by happy birthday, baby. (laughs) So it's like immediately in her face. I think it's a little bit less clear in Groundhog Day. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, with Groundhog Day, we're seeing that Bill Murray's character has, whose name I just cannot remember, like ever. I cannot remember his name. And the blank look on your face indicates that you also can't remember his name. But he is really, really jaded, seems to strongly identify his sense of self with his job as a weatherman, as a meteorologist on te- on television. And defaults to that like on-screen weatherman persona to avoid actively engaging with other people in like social contexts and so he's using he's he's simultaneously like wrapped up in his job so much as far as his self sense of self-worth but also using it to keep himself from having to have any other fulfilling avenue in his life and protect him from potentially any disappointing outcomes of trying to like interact with people mostly. But he also feels really unappreciated in his job and doesn't like having to go to Pennsylvania every year for Groundhog Day, even though it's it's the biggest day of the year, biggest holiday for weather stuff, you know? So it's a very significant day for his career. Yeah, okay. Phil is his name. Mm. Um, right, yes, because it's the same as the Groundhog, yeah, and that's yeah. a whole thing. 
Okay, so that makes sense. So he's sort of at a point where he's unhappy and unfulfilled in his career, potentially, and needs to reevaluate priorities. So he's going to this festival where it's the which way is the weather going to go for yeah. the next six weeks. He's deciding he's decided prior to the film opening that he's just going to default to his status as a weatherman to be the easy route for all of his interactions. But he's deeply unhappy. And yeah, so this is like a this is an iconic weather day that's very tied up with his job and is also a turning point where, yeah, the weather could go either way, but also where he has to decide what he ultimately wants to focus on in life. And he ends up deciding he wants to focus on his you know, being a better person and actually engaging genuinely with people rather than just giving them this really rehearsed sounding weatherman spiel like the i don't want small talk situation yeah yeah so that sort of gives all of them this position where by contriving them around this one event you mm -hmm. can make sure that you're value like the characters have to reevaluate themselves in that way it does fuel those personal growth narratives one of the reasons that we're talking about Groundhog Day so much is that I think that there's a fairly strong argument that this was intended in a lot of ways as a response to Groundhog Day. It's certainly referential to it in certain ways, and I think it seeks to create a similar narrative that doesn't have a lot of the problems that Groundhog Day had. Yeah, I definitely get the impression that Andy Samberg grew up loving this movie, loving Groundhog Day, and then watched it as an adult and was like, Oh, uh, no. Like, I, I have to do something about this. <laughs> not that Andy Samberg was the only person behind sure, the film. But that but. somebody did. Maybe not Andy Samberg, whoever wrote it, which we should probably have looked up. Who wrote this movie? It's produced and starred by Andy Samberg. But, uh, yeah. Directed by Marx Barbacow. Screenplay by Andy Ciara. Okay. And produced, one of the producers is Andy Samberg. He's the first one, so... Which might mean that he said, I want to fix this. <laughs> yeah. Write me a thing to fix this, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how Hollywood works. Yeah. Why should I? Yeah, I definitely get the impression that Andy Samberg and or some other influential people in the making of that movie really loved Groundhog Day growing up and then saw it as an adult and were like, oh no, this has so many problems. This has not aged well. And we're like, we should do it, but better. Like, um, and then made a movie that is referential but fixes a lot of those issues. So I think two of the big ones to note for that are, first of all, the consent issue. Oh, definitely. That one is horrible in Groundhog Day. The movie is filled with consent problems and essentially uncountable instances of rape by people not actually knowing what they are consenting to. Yeah, he and is. And being, uh, being seduced under false pretenses. Yeah, he's tricking a lot of people. He's making fake marriage proposals, coming in with information he shouldn't have, completely lying about who he is. It's not okay, and it's not really ever addressed. Annie McDowell's character, I think it's called Rita, sort of works out that he has information he shouldn't at one point and does react violently to him, mm -hmm. which is about the closest we get which would be satisfying if not for the fact that she still ends up with him from him doing effectively the same thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a distinction that he, in the final version, it's about him helping everyone and being a better person rather than just knowing all about her, but he also knows all about her. So. He also, I think in the final version, at least a, uh, a couple of the last versions 
is honest with her about the situation. Like he tells her that he's in a time loop. And then like, so she does know what's going on in the last couple of versions. And those do go a lot better, even if she is just sort of humoring him and doesn't necessarily completely believe him. But not in the final version where they stay together at the end. Hmm. Like he wakes up and is surprised that she's there and she's like, well, of course I'm here. Why wouldn't I be here? She doesn't know about it in that situation. And then he's like, let's live here. And I think, I don't know if he actually proposes, but it's very much implied that they're going to settle down in this small town where now everyone loves him, mm -hmm. um, which maybe is just fueling his ego even more at that point. Like, That's true. He's a local celebrity, the guy who helped save everybody that one day. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're again talking too much about Groundhog Day, um, but yeah, addressing it in Palm Springs. I mean, it is still an issue in Palm Springs. Um, Niles is still like sleeping with random people with sort of that same sort of like we can s infer from the way that he approaches Sarah that he's done a lot to sort of practice to work out the rhythms to get to where he wants to get to with that situation. It's not the main thrust of the film. That was a poor choice of words. Well, but I think they do handle it better in that he is figuring out, I don't know, he's not trying to like deceive the person he's trying to sleep with in the same way as in trying to pretend he's someone else in relation to them or like he knows them super well. Like the thing he does to get Sarah to be interested in him is that he makes a speech that saves her from having to be embarrassed giving a maid of honor speech um, while really drunk. And while that is manipulative, because he knows that that's the thing that is going to make her look favorably on him, it's not the same thing as interrogating her about her whole backstory, which he clearly hasn't done because he doesn't know anything about her past. And then using that to manipulate her in a one-on-one -on -one conversation into thinking that this is a decision she's making. Yeah, the only stuff that we see towards that side of things is having the bartender bring over two drinks that seems to be something that he knows she'll like, potentially, um, and also knowing like what perfume or hairspray it is that she's using. Much more minor things. I think it is still an issue because he then like doesn't tell her that they've slept together before. Yes, um, that definitely is an issue. But I think that there's some stuff that we'll get into with how consequences are dealt with. That I think it's still not great, but Niles is shown as having not been great and not been happy about that and is progress and is progressing in a more genuine way, I think. Yeah, and the impression that I get is that his initial attempts to see if people were interested in sleeping with him are very off the cuff and it's over like repeated success that he gradually gets more information because we see his attempt to hook up with the bride which does not work and it's like just very overt and not like subtle or manipulative at all it's just like eh? and she's just like what the hell and you know he gives up like he doesn't try to pursue that any further whereas he says that when he does confess to having slept with Sarah lots of times in the time loop, he he says, all I had to do was save you from giving that maid of honor speech, which indicates that like that's what he did at some point. And it didn't even necessarily have to be a good speech. It's just like a noticing that she was not in a position to do that and just like swooping in and making an ass of himself so that she could kind of get away. And then over repeated hookups from that situation, he's going to learn more about her over 
different ways that conversation goes and actually sleeping with her, maybe seeing what her hairspray is or whatever. So it definitely feels like there's room for it to be less intentionally manipulative, even if it wasn't. There's also very much room, as you say, for him to have been similarly manipulative and gross the way that Phil is in Groundhog Day and for him to have realized that that was disgusting and fucked up and to have tried to let go of it, which also could be why he doesn't want to tell her about it if he's ashamed of the way that that happened in previous iterations. Now, it leaves those questions unanswered, which I think is one of the really good creative decisions that this movie makes as a response to Groundhog Day in that you're coming in the middle to end of the trajectory Phil goes through with Niles. Yeah. You don't have to see all that early part. Right. Which I think is part of my argument that this is a response to Groundhog Day is that we see all of Sarah's arc, I guess, but we're able to sort of hand wave a lot of the stuff to know where we're at with Niles's character just saying, oh yeah, it's one of those time loop situations that you might have heard of. And mm-hmm. while Sarah seems confused by that, we the audience are fine with it just moving on from that point and going, oh, okay, it's a time loop. Cool. I don't think she's confused by it. I think she's... She's confused that that's a thing that really is happening, and I think that's fair. I mean, I don't think they can say, oh, like in Groundhog Day, right. Not necessarily that she doesn't know what that means, so much as she's finding it hard to believe that that's really the situation. Um, But it's not even just that statement that he makes to sort of set you up for thinking back to other time loop media you've consumed. It's also the references that he makes to the stages he went through previously that we get to skip coming into the movie with Sarah, not at his getting stuck in the time loop. One second. Okay, we should note that the like driving forces behind the film were the were Andy Ciara and the director Max Barakow, not Andy Sandberg. Andy Sandberg did come in later to read the script. Okay. Uh, before we go into the stages thing, I do want to take a moment, like, because I think one of the things that really keyed us is that, no, this is a response that wants to fix some of the problems, is that in Groundhog Day, you have this gay panic scene where where Ned has continually tried to bother Phil into buying insurance and things, and Phil's response that gets rid of Ned is to, like, hug him and, like, have a really, like, tender moment with him, and Ned's very uncomfortable and runs away. And instead of having a gay panic scene in... Palm Springs, we have Niles being like, oh yeah, I tried sleeping with this guy. It was nice. He, he was a nice guy. Glad I tried it. And move on. I think it shows how far we've kind of come as a society in terms of media recognizing that gay panic scenes are not okay and that they're fucked up and homophobic and just not funny also. Um, yeah. Because all it is is making fun of people for being the people that they are, and that's not okay. Yeah, and I think that um, that scene also doesn't play homosexuality for laughs. No. I think that uh, the... In Palm Springs? Yeah. Yeah, no. I think that the the thing that's being played for a laugh is Sarah's potential uncomfortability with the conversation, where, like, uh, Niles is getting a bit more, like, descriptive than he might need to. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, no, I, I understand. <laughs> know how that works. Which I think is... Not necessarily even Sarah being comfortable with gay sex, but so much as like anybody telling you in detail their like play by play details of a particular sexual encounter is like those are the nitty gritty details I didn't need. Yep. I believe you. You don't have to overshare. Right. <laughs> it's fine. Precisely. 
But I think that's partially playing with the audience potentially being uncomfortable with it and just yeah. being like, just to show Niles is not ashamed of this in any way because there is no reason to be. Like, this is the thing. He had an infinite amount of time to try an infinite number of things and he did not limit himself to only the things that had seemed appealing to him in his normal pre-time loop life and he didn't regret it but also decided it's not necessarily his favorite thing are we good with the gay panic like i mean i'm uh, not good with gay panic you know what i mean (laughs) like have we i think we've sufficiently it's a very brief thing where that does feel like they're like that thing in that movie was not cool. We're going to do it better. And we're yeah. going to show that this is, that was not cool because there's nothing wrong with being gay. But back to the stages part, Niles also at a few points while Sarah is working through the stages of being in a time loop references them at, as far as his own experience. And, you know, says, for example, like that he's hooked up with lots of people. That's that like, oh, there are no consequences. I can just go and have fun and do whatever sounds like a fun thing to do today, but also references having committed a lot of suicides, tried dying out of the loop and it didn't work. And also tried, uh, and also had thought about potential reasons that this was happening when she's like, maybe it's a karma thing. Have you, have we thought about other timelines? And he's like, no, I've never thought about the multiverse. And he's like very dismissive of it. Yeah. I think it's noteworthy that, like, the scene where Sarah's like, no, we don't have to live with this. Like, we can get out by driving headlong into this truck. And Niles' response is, like, we can skip this phase. Like, mm-hmm. we don't have to go through this one. And she, like, okay, we're doing this. And, like, just prepares himself for it. Is the same sort of situation that uh, Phil goes through in Groundhog Day when he decides that he needs to get out, it must be the groundhog that's the problem. So he'll take both of them out. Mm-hmm. And he does that by driving a truck off a cliff. Yeah. But yeah, I think that there's sort of consistent stages in most of them. I think it's a little bit different in Russian Doll because the trigger is dying rather mm-hmm. than like a time or a going to sleep or something. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's a noteworthy difference is that in Palm Springs, it is going to sleep that triggers the next day mm-hmm. or dying, not 6 a.m. as with um, Groundhog Day. So I think that there's consistently a period of disbelief mm-hmm. in each of them. Um, like Russian Doll, she's like, okay, well, clearly there's something in these cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, this is drugs. Mm-hmm. I've done drugs. This is drugs. There's the period in each of them where they're like, maybe it's because we're bad people. Mm-hmm. Like, Phil wonders about that in Groundhog Day. Alan and Nadia think about that in Russian Doll. Like, that's sort Pretty of explicitly. Like, yeah. that's Alan's conclusion is that this is hell and we're being punished. Yeah. And it's very much where um, Sarah goes in Palm Springs because she's like, oh, it's because I slept with my sister's fiance the night before their wedding, tries to fix that and is like, nope, okay, well, it's not karma then. Fuck this. <laughs> the fucking around and yay no consequences period, which tends to come after a depressive period. In Groundhog mm-hmm. Day, he's like stuck and drinking with people in the bar and then one of them is like, well, I mean, if nothing mattered, then you could do anything you want. He's like, aha. Uh-huh. Fortunately, Sarah has Niles there going, you know, we can just do anything we want, right? Mm-hmm. We can just drink this beer. Let's drink this beer. A sort of quest for perfection, mm-hmm. which Sarah never really goes through. I think Niles has sort of done it to some degree with the way that he is prepared for certain things, but his end goal is not like a perfect day as such. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be wanting to curate a perfect day so this, the way that Alan like tries to in Russian Doll or the way that... Uh, Phil does in Groundhog Day, but he does try to have fun with getting as good as possible at certain 
things like the dance choreography through the wedding when he's like yeah. impressing Sarah. He's just, you know, he knows how everyone in the in the reception is going to be dancing and he dances along with them and like anticipates people falling and things like that because he knows that he's memorized the routine, basically. And then they do that together when they choreograph a dance to just mess with everyone at that dive bar. Yeah. But it's just for fun. It's not to like help anyone or accomplish really anything. It's just because, you know, it's it's to get the perfect speed run, you know, yeah. on the level of game that you're playing. But I think that in all of them to an extent, there's a period where they're like, I will do everything perfectly or I will do everything in a certain way. And thinking that that's growth for a while, and then they get to a point where they can have actual growth afterwards. Does that make sense? Sure. Like they're trying to have a perfect performance, but they're not actually interrogating their own flaws as people or becoming any more like self-actualized in any way until they start actually examining themselves in relationship with each other. Yeah. When Phil is just trying to remember all the right things to say in Groundhog Day to get together with Rita, he's trying to act perfect. Mm -hmm. Whereas at the end, the implication is that he has actually grown as a person and has changed how he thinks. Um, so it's the difference between remembering choreography and speeches and like what perfume or ice cream people like, or at least wear. Not the ice cream, don't wear ice cream, um, unless it's really hot outside. <laughs> and then there's that point at which they're like, oh no, I actually need to be a better person. Well, I, I don't even think that they realize they need to be a better person. It's that over the course of trying to do stuff perfectly, they have to learn a lot about other people. And in the course of learning a lot about other people, they become better people because that's what happens when you expose yourself to different viewpoints and have deep conversations and help people and see the impact it has on them and like see their gratitude or even their lack of gratitude and their like ability to go on and do other stuff like that will change you as a person. And I think that's what they're trying to get at with Groundhog Day. But it's obscured so much for me by like just the sleaze. Yeah. Um, but with Palm Springs, it's on a smaller scale because it's mostly interpersonal between Niles, Sarah and Roy and not so much their interactions with the other people at the wedding. But with yeah. Sarah, it is a little more with the other people at the wedding. And also with Niles, he finally breaks up with Misty. He's honest with her about why their relationship doesn't work. And that's something that happens toward the end as he starts to realize what's actually important. Yeah, which is something we should have mentioned during the consent conversation is that that is one of the big differences is that at least for the body of the film, it's about two people who know what's going on rather than one person knowing and one person not. Right. It's not one person acting on other people with a greater plane of knowledge. It's two people who are in the same situation who are able to work together and build a relationship together in the same place. Yeah. it's One of them isn't a person to make fall in love with you. Right. Um by putting in the right number of quarters or something. Yeah, which is, yeah, that that's pretty much what I mean. It's like the whole sleaziness of Groundhog Day is that it is treating a relationship and an honest connection with someone as a vending machine where if you put in the right stuff and you press the right buttons, you will get relationship and sex at the end. And that's disgusting and objectifying as a orientation to look at people. And in Palm Springs, you can see that the way you fix that problem is by doing what they did, by bringing the other person into 
the time loop so that they are also part of that cycle of growth and they're also part of that bubble. Yeah, and I think that's the other noteworthy thing is that like all the other situations, like there's no indication that any of the people that Niall sleeps with thinks that they're building a strong romantic connection. All of the things that were shown are very much a casual hookup situation, I think. Yes. Um, he's not trying to like convince people that he's going to marry them or, yeah. you know, memorize all of their favorite stuff. So they think that he's their soulmate. Yeah. I, I don't think that Dala or the bartender would be particularly excited for him to be like, we're going to get married. Uh, I mean, he's a guy attending a wedding where he is best known as Misty's boyfriend. I don't think anyone he hooks up with at that wedding has any illusions about what that is. And then with Darla, like, it's a dude she's hooking up with at a dive bar. Like, again, don't think there are any illusions. Yeah. I also, if we were just talking about the random hookups he has, I appreciate that he hooks up with Darla, the lack of ageism in that, because she's much older than him. I think she's, I don't know how old that actress is, but she's definitely a generation ahead of Andy Samberg's character. And Sarah's response is, oh, I bet that was great. And he's like, you would be right. Because yeah. she's a woman who very clearly like knows herself and knows what she wants and takes no shit. Um, and so I appreciate that, that that was something that he decided to try. Going back to the sort of self-improvement type situation, um, you have Sarah getting to a point where she she's been sort of ignoring the situation that she's waking up in for a long time, like her reaction is get up and get out quickly. Mm -hmm. And then there's a certain point at which she has that breaking point and goes and is like, no, what we did was wrong. Mm -hmm. And actually confronts that. And that's the point at which she's like, I need to actually move on from this position. Then she has that growth into, I need to face this and get out of here. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think it's significant that she comes to that realization after she and Niles have slept together and acknowledged that like their bond is more than friendship and like that they have become really close um, and emotionally intimate because at that point when she wakes up in that situation and she realizes what she's done, I think she's really understanding it on a different level in terms of the relationship she's disrupting between her sister and her fiance. Yeah. And she confronts the fiance with it and he also realizes the like magnitude of the mistake that he's made and the comparisons that it draws in the patterns he's observed are something that seems deeply upsetting and troubling to him. And he is very upset that he has done something that he can't respect. And that reminds him of his dad. I appreciate that we don't spend too much time on that. No, I, I appreciate that too. But I think it's, it's sort of a domino effect thing where like, you know, she's kind of let go of some of her protective jadedness that she had put up from her divorce, which is presumably a part of what enabled her to make this mistake. And she sort of let it go over the course of getting close to Niles and opening up to him and finding value in that kind of emotional intimacy. And then because of that, she's able to really absorb and recognize and confront in herself the mistake that she's making and the hurt that she's doing to other people that she's close to. And then that also enables her to confront the fiance about it. So he is able to be like, oh shit, yeah. what have I done? And so it kind of goes from there so that people can grow. So I think there's just a couple of other things that are sort of those storytelling things that crop up in all of these time loop stories. Mm -hmm. One is just the sort of, it's not so much a storytelling device as just like a fun nod to the audience. It's just those comments that are the person who's in the time loop speaking to someone else who doesn't know about time loops, where you have things like um, Andy Sandberg's character saying like, oh, today, tomorrow, it, it's all the same. 
those sorts of nods. Um, there's a very similar one in Groundhog Day, I can't remember what it is at the moment. It's that, that there'll be no tomorrow situation. And the other one is the nature of the unshown days. Mm-hmm. In Groundhog Day, they're sort of illustrated by the fact that he has knowledge in certain things, like when he is um, stealing from the security van and he's sort of got the timing down perfectly on it. Mm-hmm. Like You don't need to see 50 iterations of him getting caught to know how he gets <laughs> to that point. Right. Similarly with his errands toward the end, it's like going around to all the places that people need help around the town. We don't need to see him eating at every restaurant in town until he realizes one that's, you know, that's going to be a problem. Well, I assume that he goes and gets the medical records for the day from the hospital somehow. But mm. Point being, we know that he spends a lot of time having a variety of experiences in town that are possible to sort of... Right. curate the one that he wants ultimately and you get some similar nods with palm springs where like um annie sandberg by the end of the film like knows the full list of things that misty might say to him mm-hmm. after sarah has come in and being like hey let's go mm-hmm. but we've only seen that happen once before which tells us that it must have happened lots of other times in between and things right um, so they're just sort of these things that your brain is just supposed to fill in and go oh there was other stuff there which is important because it would be really boring and tedious to see, and not, not to mention just just not be enough time to go into all of that, and it would not be good cinema. So, yeah, yeah I mean, in Groundhog Day, there's a few points where we see the same scene of like him ordering drinks, and it's done like three or four times, and it's just on that limit of if they showed it one more time, it would definitely be too much. Right, and I think that they show that so that you know that that's what you need to fill in for all of the other like right. times that he gets it perfect. It's it's the trick shot that you've tried, you know, four hundred times. Like they might show you failing a couple of times. They're not going to show you the reel of all of them. Which the fact that that has done that means that Palm Springs doesn't need to do it. Right. Um, like it's sort of known. At the point at which Niles is dancing through the party, you don't know that he's in a time loop unless you've seen the trailer, which tells you. And if you haven't got it by that point when he's like, oh, it's a time loop situation, the film is assuming that you are aware of Groundhog Day enough or aware of time loop situations enough that you can go, oh, so he'd gone through that party like 50,000 times, so he Mm -hmm. knew exactly how to move. Yeah. It also explains a lot of other stuff that you probably would have questioned before that point, like the fact that he goes to the wedding in a Hawaiian shirt and yellow shorts. You know, it's a case of he doesn't take any of this seriously anymore because there's no next day for any. It's not going to matter. I think it's nice that like at the very end, you see Niles of the original timeline and he's wearing a full suit and looking nice and things. Mm -hmm. And there's the point when you see the flashback to when Roy joins the loop. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that he's sort of wearing kind of wearing a suit he's trying to uh, he hasn't gone full shorts and Hawaiian shirt yet yeah um, he's wearing a suit that's sort of open and ruffled and stuff yeah yeah he has put one on that's the important thing yeah um, so I think that's the sort of broader stuff that we want to talk about with the time loop stuff so I wanted to get more into some of the story that stuff that we see specifically in Palm Springs So the three main characters that we have to talk about here are obviously going to be Niles, Sarah, and Roy, as they're the ones who actually get to progress and have an arc within the film. Everyone else is just who they are, so... Mm -hmm. Makes sense? Yeah. And and Roy is definitely secondary. Yes. As to uh, Sarah and Niles' primary characters. I was thinking when we were talking about this that it's a little bit difficult to define who the main character is, 
because you have Niles who's been there and we get a lot of the story from his point of view. He knows what's going on and is going through. Whereas Sarah is coming in and is being told this stuff by someone that we're being shown the lens of. But she's the one who has most of the conflict. She's got the issue to deal with from the previous day for her. Um, and she's the one who eventually gets them out and has that progression to we have to leave and this is how we'll do it. Whereas Niles's main role in the film is to be sort of a mentor figure in his way and to fall in love with her. He's sort of a guide at the beginning. I think it's very similar to the first book of Mistborn, where it seems like it might be Kelsier, but it's actually Vin. But it's really Vin that's the main character. Because the, as you say, the more complete character arc is Sarah's. Niles does grow and develop, but secondary characters often do, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I was actually thinking it's quite similar to the conversation that we had about The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you have Joel as this sort of older mental figure that we get the story from, who has all the knowledge, but the story is really about Ellie to a greater mm-hmm. degree. And it's about her progression. I think both of those are good parallels also because Niles continues to be a little bit more flawed and a little bit more unwilling to change at the end, which is also true of Kelsier and Joel, yeah. where they're they're moving forward really for the main character, not so much for themselves. Yeah. Not so much Kelsier, but for Joel, certainly. Yeah, I mean, he sort of, Kelsier sort of begrudgingly accepts that nobles might not all be monsters. That's sort of his yeah. nod. But he's not really, he, I don't know, it's hard to say that he really believes it. <laughs> I suppose it still works. Anyway. He's open to the concept. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes. Um, but yeah, she's, Sarah's the character who really has the moral growth, I think. Yeah, she who decides I can't hide in this bubble, no matter how pleasant I can make it. That's still hiding. Yeah. And has the bigger change on how she views relationships and things. Like, Niles has found a relationship he's very interested in. Mm-hmm. That's about it. But he would, if not for her, she, he would happily continue to live in his bubble. So mm-hmm. He had given up. Yeah. So then, we haven't really talked about Roy so much yet. So I want to talk about him. He, he functions as sort of a wild card into the mix, which is not something that we've really seen before. Groundhog Day, it's just one person. Russian Doll, we have two people. Um, and I mean, certainly the introduction of Alan in Russian Dollars are ha huh, moment, but we don't have a third person who is sort of separate in any of those. He's coming in, Roy is coming in very much from an outside perspective on these things. Yeah, and it is interesting that also at the beginning when he gets brought into the time loop, he also has really unhealthy views on relationships and is like very down on his marriage at that point. Like the day that you see that he's hanging out with Niles and ends up getting stuck in the time loop, he says something about marriage being like a bottomless pit or something. I can't remember the exact words, but it's very negative. (laughs) And he seems to have gone to this wedding by himself without his family and does lots of drugs and is very like nihilistic about relationships and then when niles tracks him down while he's trying while he is in despair about sarah having left niles finds roy at home with his family having recognized the beauty in his relationships and in the day that he's reliving because of his relationships because of his wife being who she is because of his kids being who they are even though he is a bit of a wild card he also has the same arc and in a lot of ways it seems to have been a lot easier for him to make that like transition in perspective than it did the other people. Yeah, he's the only person that we see in a time loop who has kids. Mm-hmm. 
which I think is an interesting part of it. Which is also why he resents Niles so much for having brought him into the loop, because he realizes he's going to miss his kids growing up, and that's why he's so angry and resentful and is hunting Niles down to torture him as much as possible. Yeah, he is also, I think, the only character that's married. Yeah, I think actively, like, currently married, yeah. Yeah. All the other people are either single or they're in a dysfunctional relationship that they need to get out of in some way. Just Niles and Alan from Russian Doll. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that it's kind of Roy's action that actually leads Sarah to end up being in the loop as well. Yes, it, it is, because he shoots Niles and he goes into the cave because he didn't doesn't want to like slowly painfully die from the arrow wound and entering the cave will reset stuff immediately. He tries to tell her not to follow but she does and going into the cave is apparently what gets you stuck in the time loop. But she's also why Roy ends up realizing that torturing Niles in that way was ultimately unfair and not cool and a bad thing to be stuck on doing because when she hits him with the car as sort of a like payback fuck you type of thing for all of the torment he's putting Niles through. He realizes the torment he's been putting Niles through and how messed up that is and is like, I need to let this go and is able to kind of come to terms with the day he's in and find the joy in it and his relationships. Yeah. And we'll come back to it a little bit later, but I think it's important to note that like Niles has clearly never responded to Roy with violence. His reaction always seems to be to run away and try and avoid it. Mm-hmm. And it's not until Roy actually like feels pain that he's like, oh, this is real. Like this mm-hmm. is a thing. So I think part of that is because Niles feels guilty for having gotten Roy stuck in the time loop. Yeah. Um, and so in a certain way, I think he feels like he deserves it. I mean, it's not cool and he, he wishes it wasn't happening, but he also gets why Roy is mad. Yeah. And he tries to sort of explain why he doesn't want to do that like fight back to Sarah and Sarah's like, no, fuck that guy. Which is a little bit weird as far as a message goes, because like that does seem to solve the problem for a lot of people, but isn't necessarily what's best. Well, I think that what that highlights is that consequences are really important for learning a lesson. You know, like Roy doesn't learn that what he's doing is messed up until he experiences the consequences of his own actions of someone fighting back. The same thing with Sarah and, like, realizing the consequences of her actions by actually, like, staying in that moment of waking up in her sister's fiancé's bed. Like, if she runs away and escapes the consequence of seeing him and thinking about the situation she's in, then she can ignore it. But she never moves forward. It's only when she kind of stays and experiences the guilt and the confrontation and the, you know, the reality of it that she's able to move forward. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see how much of a vacuum some characters in these are in versus others. Niles has this whole thing where he's sitting there with a candy bar, having eaten part of it and talking how the past doesn't matter and only the only thing that matters is now and what happens afterwards, and mostly the now thing. Mm-hmm. And they have that question about, well, does the past matter? And it's Sarah who's able to be like, well, I had this in my past and I think that's important, whereas Niles has got to a point where he can't remember what he did for a living. Mm-hmm. With both Groundhog Day and with this, uh, so much of... The story is about the day that's relived and maybe like the day before. And mm-hmm. then there's very little about their past lives. All about all we find out about Sarah from her life before is that she was married. We don't know what she does for a living either. We don't really get a huge idea of who Phil was before the day before Groundhog Day. We can imply a certain number of things from people we know who are kind of like Phil, but that's about it. 
it's all sort of fairly self-contained. Supposed to say things like Russian Doll, where you do get flashbacks to much earlier periods. Right. Not so much with Alan, but you do get some earlier things in his relationship with Beatrice. And certainly with Nadia, like you go back to her childhood. Yeah. With Palm Springs, they never show you any of their past. They just reference it briefly as a as an important contextual marker. And I think for Niles, part of why he is trying so hard to convince Sarah that the past doesn't matter is because he has been in that time loop for so long that he, as you say, doesn't really remember his past before the time loop. And I think that's part of him trying to make himself feel okay about that. Which I think is an interesting response to the point that you made off mic about the dog. Yeah, like I don't understand. So at the end of the movie, when they finally get out of the time loop, spoilers. We, we did the spoiler we, warnings, we're fine. I, but, <laughs> joke. Anyway, they're like, well, what now? And Niall says, well, I guess I should go pick up my dog. And I do not understand how this didn't come up before. And neither can Sarah. It's like, well, you had a dog this whole time. And like, they just laugh. But if you had a pet, wouldn't you want to like see them? Maybe not every day. But like if they're boarded for the wedding or whatever, like clearly this wedding is out of town. They're staying on site, whatever. I mean, it's not clear. Maybe maybe Niles lives in another state or something, but it doesn't seem like it. Well, there's a point where he says that he manages to get as far as Equatorial Guinea, Guinea or, something. or something. Yeah, yeah. in a day before sleeping. But, but I think that that's weird. I think what you were just saying answers that question, though, because it's that he's got to a point where he's decided the past doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And he's let go of a lot of that stuff. He's not worried about his job. He's not worried about anything. We know that he has a job where they don't call him at weddings. So that's nice. And nobody brings up his job to him at all. But at the end of the film, it's an acknowledgement of his past. Mm-hmm. That right. he does have one. Yeah. And that it does have bearing on what happens now. Yeah. So I think that that's a very small nod to a big growth being like, okay, now that I'm outside of that, there is stuff outside of this that matters. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems really messed up to me that you would go a really, really, really long string of time loop days without ever seeing your pet if you could do that. Like, we know that Sarah lives in Texas and it's like a seven hour drive or something from Palm Springs. I don't know how far it actually is, but it's a it's a very long drive. No, it's longer than that because she gets up one morning and starts driving and she gets there in time to fall asleep. Yeah. So yeah, she lives in Texas and it's a really long drive. If she has pets, it's not really feasible for her to actually go and see them regularly. Although I, th- I would think you would miss them and you would want to sometimes, even if you knew it was going to take your whole day, because also at that point, what even matters like a whole day, whatever, it's going to be the same one tomorrow, you know? And I don't understand how Andy Samberg has clearly gone like years worth of days without seeing his dog. Because we know he's in the time loop with Sarah for that long, for a really long time. And she never knows about this dog. Uh, you were close with the seven hour drive from Palm Springs to Austin. Oh. It's actually 18 and a half. Nope, not close at all. Very long drive. Believable that she gets there and falls asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think he's trying to convince himself that it's okay that he doesn't remember his past by telling himself that his past doesn't matter. Whereas she's fresh to the loop and her past is fresh in her mind and something that she's constantly confronted with every morning at least a little bit. And so she has to think it's important because she can't get away from it. Which is interesting because Niles' situation is still 
something unavoidable, but something he's come to terms with. Like the thing is that it's not guilt that he's faced with. It's sort of a depression situation. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't have to wake up and feel guilty about what he did. He wakes up and is like, why am I with this person? They're mm-hmm. cheating on me. They're going to cheat on me later today. I know that. And has clearly got, as you said earlier, gone through the attempts to try and stop them getting together. There's the whole like, no, there's, there's no situation where these two don't get together. Yeah. And there's just the resignation and there's some sadness in the way that he says that, like that clearly shows that at one point that was deeply upsetting for him. Like he started this probably actually still in some ways wanting that relationship to work and being somewhat invested, even if it was mostly because he's codependent and doesn't want to be alone. But it it makes him sad. It still kind of hurts. Yeah. He's trying to pretend it doesn't, but it does. Well, there's this sort of consistent through line of sort of just hints at a very dark Niles in there. He's become this sort of fun, happy-go-lucky guy who, like, is the guy who drinks beer in the pool and turns up to the wedding in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. But there's a history of depression there. Like, he sort of hints at... Well, he doesn't hint, he says he's done a lot of suicides. He's clearly got trauma from various things that have happened in the past. And, you know, he's come to terms with the situation with Misty. But when he says there's no version of events where these two don't get together. Like what were the, some of the things that he tried to do to stop that? Like, you don't know how dark that could be. It was actually something I came across when I was looking up who the writer and director were for this is apparently the original, original script for it was a very dark screenplay where Niles was actually going to Palm Springs to kill himself. Hmm. And it matured from that. The writer was saying that he, uh, in the time that they were writing the script and like going through iterations of it, he like got married and had a family and things and it became about something else, which yeah, yeah. is like, they likened it to leaving Las Vegas originally. I haven't seen leaving Las Vegas, but, Neither have I. <laughs> but that reminds me in some ways of like the mental health journey of Lev Grossman over the course of writing the magician trilogy, which I won't say more about because you haven't read it yet. But we um, are doing episodes on those at some point. Yes. Um, but it's another case where you can see that like, a creative person's experience of depression and the outlook they have of the world informed by that does show through and has a a strong bearing on the tone of what's going on and like the messages that are kind of woven throughout. Like Niles is that charismatic comedian type person who is deeply depressed. And we've seen a lot of entertainers like Robin Williams who struggled with depression part of the coping of that was to try and like find the joy in things and bring it to other people as much as possible. And I don't think it's a mistake that his name is Niles and like nihilism is very strong throughout the story, particularly in his outlook on the world. Yes. There's a, there's a lot of sort of nihilism and existentialism that goes on in this film, which I don't think we're really getting into much, but I think it's also fairly surface. If that's fair. I think it's in between Groundhog Day and Russian Doll. Like, it's not quite as metaphysical and existential as Russian Doll gets. And it doesn't quite go as deep into some of those questions about what is important in life and also, like, the physics of human interaction and timelines as Russian Doll does. But it's going a little bit deeper into some of those ideas and being a little more explicit with some of them than Groundhog Day is. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll get into it in a bit, but I think it's um, it does go some way to answer some of the questions that Groundhog Day has raised. Mm-hmm. So. so with that stuff in mind, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the way that they perceive the world that they're in. Niles has clearly been in this loop for a long time and originally presumably wasn't particularly happy, given all, you know, 
all the suicides. But it seems to have reached this point where this is kind of like heaven for him. Like, he's doing the same thing over and over, but, you know, he's enjoying himself and there's beer. But it's a very, like, shallow idea of heaven. It's sort of like The Good Place's original heaven, where, like, it becomes kind of boring. The options are limited by your own imagination and, like, the things available. Well, he doesn't seem bored as such. And he's certainly, at the point at which Sarah is joining him, like, is very happy. Like, he's waking up in the morning and smiling. Like, it's a noticeable difference. Oh, I thought you were talking about, like, when the movie starts. Because I think at that point he's just sort of resigned and he's just trying to have it be as pleasant and painless as possible. I mean, I it, I don't think we see enough of him at the beginning before we see the stuff with Sarah to tell, but like there's certainly a situation to which he perceives this as being fine. Yeah, he, fine. Fine, I would agree with. Uh, he doesn't want to leave. Whereas Sarah, like he's sitting there saying, I don't want to leave. This is fine. I'm just going to keep doing this. Like we don't need to be trying to do these things to get out. It's fine. But I, I don't necessarily, I think that's a coping mechanism. I think that's he tried and he's given up on trying to leave and he doesn't want to go back to the effort of trying to leave because it's disappointing. It right. didn't work and it's stressful and it makes him upset. Well, I think there's an extent to which he's speaking from a point of privilege where the worst thing that he has is that he's waking up with someone that he knows is going to cheat on him later that day. And he knows Roy might try and murder him at some point. Right. You know, it's the problems that you go through and... Average Tuesday. And he, but he's sitting there in that position going, like, this is a perfectly great existence. Whereas Sarah is in sort of her own little personal hell in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, the, her waking up situation is not a, oh, you're going to cheat on me later. It's what has happened the night before. So while she's got that constant iteration of that going on, and Niles is going, oh, no, it's fine. And well, she's and it's tra- also her family is there and they have these negative limited perceptions of her as being yeah. a fuck up and all this stuff. So there's a lot of baggage for her because it's the wedding of someone in her family. And so it's a family awkwardness situation for her there too. Yeah. She's just surrounded by things that make her feel inadequate. <laughs> but the thing that pushes Niles to leave is that when Sarah goes away for a while, he sort of reevaluates things and this world without her there is sort of not worth living and he sort of ends up stuck in this sort of personal hell situation of his own where he's just uh like the only relation people have to him is through the girlfriend that's cheating on him and things yeah and i think that's partly because he had resigned himself to his existence in that day without sarah and had learned kind of how to make the best of it but it wasn't it was fine as you say it wasn't like great but it was fine and then with Sarah, he had kind of a partner in crime, someone who was interesting and had new ideas and who he could be more like they were more than the sum of their parts in terms of like the fun that they could have. And it was a an identity he could forge outside of being Misty's boyfriend, you know, and he could actually have a life outside of that. And once She has left to commit herself to finding a way out, which he doesn't know is what she's doing. Everything seems so much more colorless by comparison because he was having fun. He did have a genuine relationship with an equal who knew that they were in a time loop, an actual genuine human connection. And that's why he then goes to talk to Roy, the other only person who knows they're in the time loop, even though they'd had a really combative on Roy's end, um, you know, antagonistic relationship. He goes to him for that genuine human connection because he needs, he now recognizes the need for a conversation with someone who is also in the same place he's in. And so he can't go back to, and especially when Roy is like, and we can't hang out, like, that's not good. I've, I found my day, my day, 
my good day is not going to that wedding. That the joy in my life on this day was never driving a couple hours away to Palm Springs and being at a wedding that I didn't really care about being at. That's a waste of my time. I'm not doing that. And I'm not getting involved with your bullshit. So at that point, he knows that if he stays, he's alone and he has to be alone knowing that it could have been so much better. Yeah. And so that's always going to torture him. So at that point, he doesn't want to stay by himself. And it makes sense. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that in Groundhog Day, one of the things that Phil does as part of his growth is to go around and help everyone. Mm -hmm. Like, seeks to solve all the problems. Whereas, like, Niles and Sarah's closest thing they get to philanthropy is buying a $100 candy bar. Yeah. There's very little they do to make other people happy. Like, Sarah gives her sister's husband a threatening look and tells him not to fuck it up. But that's probably the best thing she does. Well, she decides to make the last day, like, to be what she would want that to be in terms of being supportive of her sister, giving a decent maid of honor speech, etc. Showing up in the way that she feels she should be showing up for the people that care about her and that she cares about. I think it's about doing good and being a better person on a much more realistic and individual scale, like within your own life, doing the things you should be doing to be a good person in your own life, not necessarily for there to be a list of accomplishments in your like obituary or something like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. What do you think is the deal with the dinosaurs? (laughs) I don't know. There must have been an alternate ending planned or something like it's a whole thing. I think that it's like in um, Carolina Drama, the raconteur's song that Jack White produced. Because I think he's been interviewed about the line at the end about the milkman. And it's that line's very confusing. Like there's... For people who haven't listened to our Murder Ballads podcast, episode three, you should go listen to it. Yeah, it's one of the ones that's in that list. But where I think someone asked him about it or something. And if you look in the genre and he's talking about it, that it's basically important in that kind of song to have just like a weird thing that people are going to ask questions about. And I think that's what the dinosaurs are in this. Like it's a, it's intentionally, I think, weird and confusing. So people will talk about it and ask about it and try and pick deeper into the story. It's to drive engagement. It's clickbait. I worry about disregarding it in that way. I mean, it might not be. There might be something deeper there, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's part of it. I think that most likely it is either a sort of setup for a sequel or it's something that was going to be dealt with that they kind of left in to be weird. Mm-hmm. Or there could be some more explanation towards that being like how the time loop thing works is that there's a time rupture in some way, but it would make very, it would be very strange for them to be living a time loop while other things can come through or something. Yeah. If you only saw them during that one time when they were still in the time loop, um, which is when the characters see the dinosaurs, then you could chalk it up to either the fact that they're on mushrooms, which is a little bit variable because they both seem to see them without knowing what the other person saw. Or it's another weird consequence of whatever rift is in the cave that has them trapped in a time loop in the first place. Like that that they snagged in the time loop at some point millions of years ago. And those dinosaurs are also in the time loop. But that wouldn't make sense because it's November 9th. They would uh, would be they would be stuck in a time thing in millions of years ago. So never mind. Okay, so those theories is it's something to do with the snag of the time loop somehow and that still has a whole lot of unanswered questions or it's just there. So we'll talk about it and be confusing and not quite line up with the other stuff we know about the time loop situation. 
As in the milkman thing from Carolina drama. I think that the best solution would be to call the writer. <laughs> or maybe Andy. I feel like Andy Samberg would know as well. Maybe we'll get an interview answer at some point. It'll be very boring. What do you think it is? I don't know. Because even just like as a symbol, I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know what purpose it serves in the film. And that's part of why I think it's just there to provoke questions. It could be a poorly executed like joke. Because it's like at the foot time, it's like, well, maybe they're high mm-hmm. and they're not really seeing dinosaurs. But then at the end, oh, but there were dinosaurs, but it hasn't just been thought through beyond that. Doesn't seem to be an answer out there. Another I think they might be there to be kind of weird. I think your, your solution about the uh, it being intended to make us question is possible. I would rather think that it's something more than that, but that's probably what they want me to think. <laughs> So I've got a couple of notes here for a couple of the larger sort of time loopy world type things Mm -hmm. that I think we ought to just touch on. And this is going to be sort of more across the three rather than just palm strings. And just Um, technical stuff? Yeah. So the first thing is the reason for the loop. Yeah, I definitely think we should talk about the differences there. Palm Springs does a lot of work to make there be a a very solid reason. If only it's, it's because of that thing. Yeah, it's a somewhat hand-wavy science fiction reason, but like there is a place that is coincident physically with that cave in Palm Springs outside the wedding venue. And there is a weird hitch in time there that if you get stuck in it, spins you out every day. There's a sort of cause and effect situation. Yeah. With both Russian Doll and Groundhog Day, there's not ever a reason given. No, but they both heavily imply that there is some relationship between the characters' like personal internal growth and whatever has gotten them stuck. Yeah, it, there's a lot of questions asked by the characters of why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And the answers we get to that to some degree can help out with that. But there's never anything solid. We don't see Bill Murray go through a weird portal or get cursed by someone. He just wakes up one day and then keeps waking up that day. And the same thing with... Uh, Nadia and Alan in Russian Doll. It's just a thing that is happening because it is happening. And then we can only infer why the loop is happening by how they get out of the loop. Or by how they appear to in the case of Russian Doll. Yes. I mean, in Groundhog Day, like, it's very clear that he gets himself to a better place. And it seems to be tied to Rita in some way. His perfect day where he improves involves getting together with Rita. I think it involves... True love, you know, I think that's really where they're going with it. And so it's not necessarily Rita. She is in this in so many ways, the object here in that movie. Regardless of how I feel it doesn't work entirely well, there is an element of self-improvement there in Groundhog Day that gets him to be out. That's clearly what they're going for, at least. Even Even if it breaks down, for me at least, in certain ways as to how genuine or real that transformation is, that is definitely the message of the movie is that he needed to become a better person and find true love to get out. Russian Doll is very similar, except that instead of this sort of self-improvement that you go from one day to the next and to everybody else, you're suddenly a much better person. It's about self-awareness, I think. Yeah. Um, which I think suggests a more long-term change. Whereas in Groundhog Day, I mean, there's nothing to stop him the next day going back to being a jerk. Like, how long does that actually last? Like, is it two weeks and then he's just, like, single and uh, kind of an ass again? Has decided not to move to Pakistani. Whereas with the self-awareness in Russian Doll, it's more of a dealing with their past issue. Mm -hmm. 
um, and reflecting on who they are as people in a very concrete way. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's interesting that in Palm Springs, they completely divorce the time loop from any sort of like internal awareness or good personness or anything. It's literally this outside physical mechanism that has gone awry and that these people just happen to be stuck in. And they do have the power to get themselves out, but by operating within like physical laws and understanding the phenomenon in order to find a way out because of that. It's not actually related to who they are as people, except in so much as they have to become, like get to the point where they're willing to do that work. Yeah, I think instead of, as with Russian Doll and Groundhog Day, it's some weird part of the universe going, you need to be a better person. Mm -hmm. It's, they can get out whenever they want, but they have to, as you say, become the people who can get out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they tripped and fell into a cave and like they always had the ability to carve some stairs out, but you ha- that's going to take a long fucking time and you're going to have to figure it out. But it doesn't have anything to do with you being like spiritually pure, like good person TM. Like, I'm not sure any of the people in the other media are spiritually pure. But you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have anything to do with you then suddenly becoming, you know, an, a candidate for sainthood or even just a particularly empathetic and caring person. So I think that's most of the main things that we wanted to talk about. But I think the big question here is fairly simply just what is the message this film is trying to give us? I think that we can find the message pretty clearly, like spelled out explicitly in the middle of the movie. There's a pretty great quote at the point where... Um, Sarah has run into Roy with the car and freaking out and whatever, being cruel. And Niles has like a bit of a monologue about what is important within the time loop and like to remember as a human being. Yeah, because uh, Sarah has said, well, you know, you said that nothing matters. Right. I think that Niles actually tells us what the message of the movie is at that point. He says, pain matters. What we do to other people matters. Being a source of terror is not fun, okay? It's not fulfilling. I know this from experience. It doesn't matter that everything resets and people don't remember. We remember. We have to deal with the things that we do. And I think that it really all comes down to that. It's about consequences and about living with the consequences of the things that you've done as far as deciding who you're going to be now. Yeah, I think that's a fair point with the fairly important quote there. Um, I think that's certainly the main message that I take away, and I think that the film around that quote does a lot of work to support that. Since we answered so quickly, I think it's we can get into some of that supporting. Like, how is it telling us that? The whole stuff with Roy. He has spent a lot of time torturing Andy Samberg because, well, why does it matter? And you screwed me over, and like this will make me feel better. And it's not until he has the time to evaluate what's happening to himself, that he takes some time, reevaluates his life, and goes, I shouldn't be causing this guy pain. I should be enjoying what's around me. I think that that quote also applies to the things that are happening in the lives of the other people at the wedding and like before and after the time loop. Like the pain matters, what we do to other people matters. It doesn't matter if they care about it, we have to live with it, also applies to Sarah having slept with her sister's fiancé. And it also applies to uh, to Misty hurting Niles by cheating on him. Like, yeah. that pain matters. 
even though it happens every day, even though he's used to it, even though he expects it, he has to live with and remember it all the time. And it's constantly hurting him, even if he pretends it doesn't. Yeah. And I think that that is, especially your first point about Sarah there is very well illustrated because her we don't know that that's the situation at that point. Mm-hmm. But her response to that monologue is effectively like, eh, it can't matter sort of thing. Like, because me doing that thing can't matter because if I if that matters, I have to deal with it. Right. And she's been studiously trying to not deal with it up until that exact day when she couldn't avoid seeing it because she stayed in bed longer because she had been happy and she had been successfully ignoring it for so long. And similarly with Niles and Roy, like, what he did to other people, what he did to Roy matters. And I think that's why he kept just letting Roy kill him and never was violent to Roy, which is why Roy had never had that slow agonizing death in the ICU before, before Sarah hurt him. Because Niles was, that was part of how he was living with what he did to Roy by not fighting back and by just accepting those consequences and living with it. Like, I I think that was him living with the things that he'd done. Um, It's like, oh, well, today's one of the days I have to pay for that thing I did. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, to to extrapolate it out to the real world, I mean, I, I've personally not been stuck in a time loop situation, you know, maybe one day. So the lives of people around me don't reset on a daily basis, mm-hmm. but it can be easy to think they do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably how a lot of people do live in the world, where that cashier that you've yelled at, the moment that you walk away, they don't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to forget that what you've done to that person that you may know well never see again might be the thing that they remember and tell their co-workers about for years as their worst day. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, def- it does. And I I don't think they spell it out as clearly in Palm Springs as they do in Russian Doll at the point where Nadia is worrying that each of the days that they are living is a separate timeline and it goes on for everyone else. They Everyone else is living with the consequences of what you did in a point that you thought didn't matter. And that's why she, like, doesn't want to meet with um, her on-again, off-again boyfriend's daughter because she doesn't want to die in front of her and traumatize her. And she realizes that, you know, she may have created a timeline where Ruth, the closest thing she has to a parent, has killed her and has to live with the knowledge that she killed her um, adopted daughter, basically, for the rest of, of that timeline. And... Palm Springs isn't as explicit with that, but that's definitely what this quote is getting at. It's that even if it doesn't directly impact you down the line, the things that you did do perpetuate on in the world and do continue to affect other people and other things outside of yourself. And that's an important thing to remember when you're deciding what to do in the world. Yeah. And that those things should impact you. Yes. You can't just pretend that they don't. And I think that's part of what we have to live with the things that we do is about that we have to remember I was the asshole who yelled at that cashier. That is a person I am. I am a person who was an asshole to someone in the service industry. You know, like that's, I mean, not me specifically. I probably have at some point. I don't think so, but I've been in the service industry. So I try to be careful about that kind of thing. But I know I've been a jerk to people at different points in my life. I think all of us have been. And you have to acknowledge that that is something that you did. That is a person that you are, but it's not all that you are. And it's something that you can carry with you to help inform your future decisions and your future actions. Yeah. And I think that this quote also does a certain amount to hint at the the dark version of Niles that's out there somewhere mm-hmm. um, with that whole thing about... Uh, or being a source of terror. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not fun. Like, it, it does very much beg the question of what he did in the early days. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, like, they do cause a little bit of terror in their later times, like, um, when they've put a bomb in the cake at the wedding. Like, they're enjoying themselves. Everybody else just survived a bomb threat, though, and has no idea why two people they know are dressed as pirates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that does put a little bit of a, a fly in that ointment of, like... Now it's being like, ah, oh, we don't want to do things that terrorize people. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a different sort of. It's so thing. over the top, though, that it's more, more more like a performance where then they can be like, ah, oh, we did this entertaining thing for you guys. Yeah. But I think that is partly them not seeing the other people as real all the time, you know, and that's also fairly realistic. Like, even if you in general try to behave conscientiously in the world and see other people as full people that matter every now and again, you are kind of wrapped up in yourself and your own experience and may do things that are upon closer reflection, pretty fucking inconsiderate. So like, I don't find that necessarily to it, ruin the idea. It is one of the issues that I do have at the end of the film is that uh, there's the guy who owns the shooting range. <laughs> yeah. the, I'm assuming that Niles isn't this guy's son. Um, yeah. And also, like, that's not something that resets. Like, they survive that timeline and get out. So mm-hmm. that guy just thinks that, like, his son from a one-night stand 30 years ago turned up and then went into a cave and there was an explosion. And then that was that, I guess. Yeah. I, I am intrigued as to, like, what happens after the explosion, like, between the explosion and the pool. But anyway, I think that the message is fairly clear. So. Yeah. So because we're doing something a little bit weird with this episode where we're talking about Palm Springs, but also sort of a larger style of narrative that they're working with. Um, we wanted to add something in as well as the big question, which I think we're calling a mega question. Yeah. Um, or a meta question. No, because that'd be a question about questions. You shot that down. No, did I? Okay. I mean, we can ask questions about questions, but it's going to become a very annoying podcast. <laughs> okay. More annoying. Well done if you've stuck through this far. Anyway, so that mega question is... Why do we tell these time loop stories? It seems to be something that's fairly universal. Um, I mean, obviously we have these three that we've talked about today, uh, which we've picked because they're all fairly standard days. They've got that time together. But as I mentioned earlier, there's Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise film. There's the Jake Gyllenhaal film Source Code that works on the same principles. There's a random episode of Supernatural that has a time loop in it. Wikipedia tells me that it dates back to at least 1941 when there was a short story by Malcolm Jameson published called Doubled and Redoubled, where someone is cursed to repeat a, quote, perfect day. There's also a whole bunch of other short stories. There's a Soviet film. It's also apparently very popular in Japanese popular culture. There's things like the science fiction novel The Girl Who Leapt Through Time from 1965. I am less familiar with a lot of these but it does seem to appear in a lot of anime-type things. Um, Ghost in the Shell 2. Yeah, so it's the, the, these stories are all over the place in one way or another. Why? Well, I think that part of the structure of a time loop story is that it forces you to closely examine things that people otherwise wouldn't, that you would just move through without looking that closely and just keep moving forward. With a time loop, you are immersed in a day or some other span of time repeatedly. And so there is nothing to do except because you're not moving forward. There's nothing to do except try and get as much out of close examination and interrogation of that time frame as you can. And that leads to sort of a deeper reading of the state of yourself and the world at that period of time, if that makes sense. 
in some ways it's a sort of a meditative kind of exercise where you are trying to narrow down your experience as much as possible in order to achieve some sort of deeper understanding of yourself and your place in things. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, the fact that we've had both Palm Springs and Russian Doll come out fairly recently, like I don't think that those are playing off of each other. I think that they're both returning to those ideas and perhaps we're at a point where we need to do some extra self-evaluation and examination of the times that we're living in. I think that there's an appeal for seeing people improve um, and what might be justifiable as character progression across a entire season of television can be put into a single film fairly easily by having it be all about just that iteration of that improvement. Um, I think there's also an extent to which people like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other place that we see time loops in various forms, whether strictly narrative wise or just within the media is uh, video games. We talked a bit about video games with Russian Doll, mm-hmm. but you have that. I know that there are some video games that do specifically have the story being about a time loop, but there's also just the element of your, you have your save point and you are going through and trying to do it. And then if you screw up, then you go back and try it again. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about trying to go through multiple times to get something perfectly, I remember my short lived time playing Bloodborne, where you're trying to get through the situation. You have to know what's coming to be able to dodge and get out of the way and hit the things at the right time and approach various things in the right way. There's also an extent to which in video games where you might have different playthroughs for different reasons, like where you have a different goal. And it's not necessarily the goal outlined by the game. And you see that in time loops too, where or time loop media, where you'll see one version of the day or several strings of the day. Someone might be trying to do like the conventionally perfect run. How can I go through this day and this wedding reception and perfectly choreograph my movements to match everyone else's in a way that will be hilarious and confusing to an onlooker. Sure, there, that's one like standard of perfection. But then there are other ones where it's like, how can I have the most like relaxing and chill and whatever day? Like you may have different goals, much like you might have a playthrough of a level or something for the story. And you might have a playthrough where you're going to try and do all the collectibles or where you're going to try. And, you know, maybe you want to just for yourself, just for the lols, try and beat the boss using only like one particular move if you can, just, just because it would be fun and weird to see if you could do it. And you see the same kind of iterations played out in these time loops. Yeah, there's um, a whole thing with playing Resident Evil with just the knife, I think. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking there's a game that was one of the PS Plus free games a year or two ago called Stories, The Path of Destinies. I think you played it a little bit as well, Mm -hmm. where there are a lot of different endings depending on which path you take through it. And it's canonical that you do like something happens and you go, oh, no, and it takes you back to the beginning of the story. And it is like they are vaguely aware that they're playing through the same story each time. Mm -hmm. So are we basically saying that the reason we like telling these stories is because it gives us a way to look very closely at things and situations that we're otherwise too busy moving forward to pay much attention to and focus too much on. And also a puzzle that we can kind of tease apart and kind of identify how things work or, you know, what the consequences are of ways of doing things. Because I, I think a part of it is to kind of tie these together that 
I think just as humans, we are sufficiently like intellectually evolved that we can imagine a whole lot of different scenarios playing out from the same starting point. And that's helpful because it can help us to do things we otherwise wouldn't be able to do without any planning. But it also creates a lot of anxiety because we can imagine ways that a lot of stuff can go wrong. And time loop media are an exercise in that sort of capacity of our brains of playing out and imagining the consequences of the different choices that we know can be made from the same starting point. So it's just appealing to us because it's the same thing our brains do while we sleep. And not even just while we sleep, just all the time. Yeah, like especially. if you're, especially anybody who's listening to this, who's prone to anxiety, for example, like think about all the ways that you play out in your head, the way a conversation might go or, or something that you did and you think of the ways that you could have done it or the way it could have gone better or whatever. And that's important because it helps us in future similar situations, but it can also be very toxic and damaging to us in that it can be really, really stressful if we don't know when to stop doing that. And so I think that time loop stories are a similar sort of exercise where we're able to sort of play it out and kind of see the problems, but also see the ways things could go well. But there is also a point at which we're brought to the conclusion of, but at some point you have to let it go and move forward. Yeah, I know that's fair. So I think those are our big and mega questions, but I think that the like mega or bigger er question. We didn't plan this out. We didn't plan that out. um, Is what was probably the most fun scene to shoot in this movie? The most hilarious one. Mm. The choreographed dance in the bar was probably entertaining, as was the... um, the pirates at the wedding scene. <laughs> that was so silly. I think probably like the most fun to do would probably be, um, and difficult, would be that scene where Niles is dancing through the party. Mm, that would be really difficult. I mean, it's done in multiple shots, mm-hmm. but still, what do you think? Most fun to shoot. I don't really know much about the production side of stuff, but in terms of just trying not to laugh the whole time, I think probably the like fake out, hook up with Sarah's dad because I I feel like it would be really hard for those actors to not start laughing during that filming especially because they know it's also it's just for a joke in the movie yeah that that was one of those scenes where I watched it and was like ah but it didn't really happen but wait the actors did have to Mm -hmm. that or maybe the like partying with Roy montage because that was pretty hilarious and like very frenetic and they move to so many different locations and they're all messed up and crazy and it's weird and funny i would love to know how jk simmons decides what parts he's going to take yeah but like they're so ridiculous and they have to act really messed up and so i'm sure that was hilarious to film yeah that's fair so i've got one fun fact on a couple of tangent like theory things i want to go into quickly okay so one is about the dog at the end. Okay. So when Niles mentions he has a dog, Sarah asks what kind of dog, and he grins and goes, a shaggy dog. hmm Which brings me to the topic of shaggy dog stories, mm-hmm. which is a sort of long rambling story that's just kind of messing with people. It's not intended to be a real story. Mm-hmm which I think is one answer for the dinosaurs, is that this whole thing is intended to be signaled to some degree as a shaggy dog story. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that might be part of it. I mean, that goes well with my whole, like, it's literally in there to mess with the audience uh, idea. It's also just a cute nod to people who know that that's a thing, like the Shaggy Dog story is a thing. Yeah. Um, So the other other theory I have is a little bit longer, but not too long. There's the character of Nana, 
Like, mm-hmm. It seems to be Sarah's grandmother who comes up and like tells Niles what a great speech she gave and then does the same thing to Sarah, mm-hmm. but it's the day that she's going to be trying to leave and Nana says, I guess you'll be leaving now, which is an odd thing to say to someone on the evening of their sister's wedding at the reception when there's no particular reason for her, us to think she's going anywhere. And Sarah seems to think it's very strange. We talked a little bit at the time that maybe this character had been in a time loop of their own or was in a time loop and was just sitting back and generally being amused by the world. Mm-hmm. I think we might be right, and I want to go a step further. Okay. The most interesting character in Groundhog Day is the barman. Mm-hmm. He's the only character of colour in the whole damn film. Yep. And his role is to stand there, and when Bill Murray is eternally asking for drinks for Rita... He stands there, cleans his glass, looks over and smiles knowingly, mm-hmm. which at first we think is him being amused by Bill Murray's attempts to hook up with this woman. But what if he's seeing every one of these attempts? Mm-hmm. I like that idea. I suggest the barman and Nana are both either past patrons of time loops and see what's happening or are in the time loops themselves, but just choose to not interact with the other people. I like that idea. You know, they just kind of got their mental popcorn going. Yep. I like it. Cool. There we go. I will give my fun fact quickly, which is about the length of the time loop in Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. We've questioned a lot about how long Niles is in in Palm Springs. They have a millionth birthday for him. Mm-hmm. And Niles is like, am I that old? Oh, I don't know how old I am. Like, he doesn't know how long it's been. And he's just sort of left there as a question, but it's possible within the realm of the movie that maybe it is a million years. There's been a lot of theories put together about how long Phil Connors is in the Groundhog Day world. Apparently an original version of the script had him in there for 10,000 years, but the various other theories have been less than that. Apparently Howard Ramis had originally said it was about 10 years. A blogger went through and did like a whole load of analysis of how long it would take to like become an expert at things and figured it would be about, I think, eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Howard Ramos came back and was like, re-evaluated both claims and was like, well, no, actually, because like it does take a certain number of hours to become proficient at things and there's French and ice sculpting and playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And he also wastes a lot of time just being a douchebag. Mm-hmm. Howard Ramos didn't say that, but mm-hmm. he did say he wastes a lot of time. So he reckons it's probably 30 to 40 years. So if Andy Sandberg's character is in for 10,000 or a million years, then that's quite a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's probably not. I feel like that's just Sarah being... Yeah, exaggerating and being silly. There's no no evidence that he isn't. He's been in there long enough to forget what he did for a living. It's true. That would take quite a while. It would. Anything you'd like to add? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I don't think we have any feedback, follow-up, or late thoughts? Not at the moment. Okay. So we're going to leave the episode there for today. We'll have our usual social media stuff down in the footnotes, along with anything else we happen to need to mention down there. We'll also have a link to our YouTube channel. You can also find it by typing Unramblings into the search bar on YouTube. I don't know why I said that. You know how search bars work. Um, If you can go and subscribe to that, it would really help us out. Uh, The more subscribers we get, the more people see our videos and maybe we can get out there a little bit more. Tell your friends that we exist. Uh, We'd love to have some more people engaging with us. The fans that we have are great. We'd like more. Thanks for listening to Unramblings. We hope you'll join us next time. I hate journalism these days. Everyone thinks they need to write a 2,000 word article about, like... We don't know. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it's like a whole giant thing of like... So in this movie that you're looking up clearly already, so you already know what happens. Here's a long description, and then down at the bottom it's like, it could be this. Well, I know it could be this, because that's what it... I watched the film. Like...
This would only be useful to someone who hasn't seen the film, which they wouldn't be reading it because they haven't seen the film. Anyway. Yay, I'm done.